What I'm talking about is eating whole foods, fruits, starchy vegetables, legumes, and whole grains. I'll repeat that. Fruits, starchy vegetables, legumes, and whole grains. If you can base your diet in those four food categories and eat as much whole food as possible, you will add yet another layer of disease reversing power to your diet. I've been doing this now for 20 plus years, and I kid you not, on average, I eat 20 pieces of fruit per day. So you do the math on that, 20 pieces of fruit per day is like 7,000 some odd per year times 20 years. I've eaten 150,000 pieces of fruit over the last 20 years. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone walking with us in Memphis, Tennessee, Kingman, Arizona, and Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is Episode 7 of Season 6, Number 403 Overall. It's also episode six of our Health All-Star series, and it features a gentleman who has become a leading voice in the fight against diabetes. He is someone who is living with type 1 diabetes, as a matter of fact, and showing that through proper nutrition, it is possible to control his condition. And he's also showing millions who are living with type 2 diabetes that remarkably improved insulin resistance is possible in so many cases, even fully reversing diabetes. Cyrus Kambata from Mastering Diabetes is here with us on the exam room today. He has five ways to improve insulin resistance and take back control of your health the natural way. And a lot of these these solutions here, they come from the very place that causes millions of cases of type 2 diabetes and millions of other chronic illnesses every single year. And that place would be your dinner plate. And if you don't believe him, just think about this. The man is living with type 1 diabetes and still eats upwards of 20 pieces of fruit every day. Mr. Cyrus Kambata, PhD. Welcome to the exam room, my friend. Chuck, my man, it's so good to be with you. I love coming here. Thank you for the invitation. It's my pleasure. It's always a good time when you're here, man. I feel like there's certain guests who come on this show who just have a knack for connecting with the audience and being able to deliver information in a digestible, fun fashion. And one of the people who we get a lot of feedback about in that regard is you, man. So it's truly my honor to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm actually just an AI robot, but I appreciate that people think I'm actually real. So this is good stuff. That is one heck of a computer job you got going there. Yeah, yeah I don't awesome mess around, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So we are talking about insulin resistance today, taking control of diabetes with five, five tips here. Uh, your five tips are proven time and again by science and everything that you've got going on with mastering diabetes. Let's dive right in here at the top. Number one tip is? Okay. Number one tip. This has been proven by science since the 1920s, and it has continued to show up in the research world over and over and over and over and over again in thousands of scientific papers. It's very simple. Number one, eat a diet that contains primarily 
plant material. That simple. Okay. The reason I say that is because there were experiments that started as early as the 1920s by researchers named uh, J.P. Hemsworth and Ian Rabinowich that then progressed into uh, studies by Inder Singh and uh, James W. Anderson and Dr. Neil Barnard as we move forward in time. And a lot of these studies demonstrate the same thing over and over and over again, which is that when you consume animal products in your diet, even though it might help suppress your blood glucose in the short term and suppress your A1C in the short term and suppress your insulin use or the, your insulin concentrations in the short term, all of those are short term effects. So if the real key, the real question we're trying to ask is how do you reverse diabetes? How do you reverse the underlying disease process called insulin resistance? Then we can't look at short term effects. We have to take off of our short term goggles and put on our long-term goggles and make sure that we have a plan that's gonna work tomorrow and a plan that's gonna work 15 years into the future. And of all the diets and all the fad methodology that's come out over the last 10 to 20 to 30 years relating to a low carbohydrate diet or the Atkins diet or the paleo diet or a ketogenic diet or a carnivore diet, which are all incarnations of the same methodology over and over and over again, Every single one of these diets has a very small, if any, amount of long-term research. And the reason is because number one, it's very hard to stick to a diet that contains a lot of animal-based foods. It can actually become very challenging. There's a lot of people who try it for a little while and then they, they, they give it up because they find that it's too difficult. And number two, the research actually demonstrates that people who eat more animal-based foods, higher fat diets, more saturated fat, more animal-based protein, end up with worse biomarkers, even if their biomarkers improve in the short term. So this same pattern emerges over and over and over again, which is that you can suppress your glucose and your A1C and your insulin levels and your blood pressure, and sometimes even your cholesterol levels for the first six months, three months, six months, nine months. But then after a certain point, you enter into a state of metabolic distress, which can then turn into a much bigger deal and actually cause significant issues that are bigger than the problem that you tried to solve in the first place. All right, man. I want to make like Dr. Emmett Brown and somehow conjure up 1.21 gigawatts of energy and go back in time to the 1920s when this research was first starting to hit the market. How in the world is it now that we're talking about centuries old data and this is still such a novel concept to so many of us. What is this disconnect, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we live in the matrix. That's why we live in a world <laughs> in which uh, having more information isn't necessarily uh, the way to get people to make positive change. I mean, think about it. We live in a world of social media. Okay, We live in a world where there is more content generated per day than there has been at any moment in human history. The amount of information on the internet today is overwhelming and no human can go through it. It's just impossible. Yet, despite the fact that there's more information, there's more confusion, there's more conflict, and the rates of chronic diseases, including diabetes, heart disease, and obesity are now higher than they've ever been. So clearly the amount of information does not actually correlate with the ability to make significant impacts in the health system. Okay. So, the research, like you're saying, started back in the 1920s, and then it was replicated in humans in the 1930s, and then in the 1950s, and the 1970s, and so on and so forth. So a lot of people look at the old research and they, they make these judgments about it. They say, number one, it's too old. It can't be right. It's just, it's just bad research. It's too old, which is a fundamentally wrong statement. 
Because just because something is old does not mean that the scientific methodology and the scientific process that was used to create the study in the first place is out of date or is bad. Okay. Number two, people always like to make this statement that, you know, it just because it was proven in a laboratory animal does not mean that it translates to human beings, which is also a fallacy because there's a lot of conservation of biology that happens between species. And no, humans are not rabbits. Humans are not mice. But the amount of uh, overlap that we have in our biochemical machines between the rodents and monkeys and humans is actually very high. So you use these, these sort of test animals as a way to prove your hypothesis. And then you take these experiments and you and you repeat them on human beings. And if you can find the same result, then that's a good translational study because it demonstrates that it actually does carry over into humans. And this has been shown. It's been shown over and over and over again. Okay. So just because a study was performed in a clinical model does not necessarily mean that it's a bad piece of research. So people like to discount these types of research studies over and over and over and over again. But even, you know, Dr. Neil Barnard um, from the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, he's, he's, and, and him and Dr. Kaliova have published multiple times on studies demonstrating that a predominantly plant-based diet or a vegan diet or a low-fat vegan diet or some combination thereof improves cardiometabolic disease risk, lowers insulin resistance, improves pancreatic function, lowers blood glucose and beyond. And yet still in today's world, people still debate it. It's mind-boggling. That is, it is just absolutely mind-boggling. But you know what? I mean, we just got to keep banging that drum and, and opening some more eyes. I honestly believe, even though um, I feel like we, we kind of operate in our own little health bubble from time to time, and it's easy to put blinders on, I still do feel like on a broader scale, the tide is starting to turn yes. toward a, a healthier future for a lot of us because we're starting to see the impact of the choices that we have made over these last hundred years or so, or even less than that, you know, but that's a topic for another day. We Great. still have four more tips to go. So let's go ahead and jump into number two, which is a, kind of a refinement on that plant-based diet you were just talking about. Okay. So tip number one is eat a diet that contains predominantly plant-based material. Tip number two is eat a diet that contains predominantly plant-based material that is low in fat. And I, and it's a separate, uh, it's a separate point altogether because eating a plant-based diet is definitely something that can help lower chronic disease risk and lower your risk for diabetes and help you reverse the underlying disease processes that cause the insulin resistance problem in the first place. But when you lower your fat intake, especially if it comes from saturated fat that comes predominantly from animal sources, you give yourself a huge leg up because insulin resistance, which is the underlying cause of prediabetes, which is the underlying cause of type 2 diabetes, which is the thing that affects 92% of the diabetes population. Okay? If you're trying to get to the root cause of insulin resistance, the answer is not about sugar. It's not about carbs. It's about excess dietary fat. So if you can lower your total fat intake to between 10 and 15% of total calories, or stated in another way, if you can lower your fat intake to approximately 30 grams per day or less, your chances of reversing insulin resistance go through the roof. That's what we wrote about in the Mastering Diabetes book. That's what we've been teaching people in our Mastering Diabetes coaching program. That is the most powerful lever that you can pull 
that you have control over that can significantly reduce your blood glucose, your eight, your fasting uh, insulin level, your A1C level, and then also have ancillary benefits on lowering your blood pressure and your LDL cholesterol, both of which are associated with an increased risk for a future cardiac event. So if you want improved cardiometabolic health and you want to lower your risk for diabetes in particular, low fat is absolutely the way to go. Yeah. And, and that's really interesting to me because if you go to any grocery store in America now and you walk down the candy aisle, you see all of these candies that are marketed as being diabetic friendly. They have zero sugar in them, right? And so people, the majority of people, I think that if you eat, say, a Snickers bar, right, it's the sugar in the Snickers bar that's going to cause diabetes. But if you get the zero sugar Snickers, you're in the clear. But what it was you were just explaining is the sugar really doesn't, you know, have too terribly much to do with it here. Yeah, exactly right. So, so, so let's not let's not oversimplify this because the, you're absolutely right. Like the zero calorie Snickers bar is probably a better. I'm sorry, the zero sugar calorie bar is probably a better alternative than the you know bar that contains sugar. But what I want people to understand here is that you can eat artificial sweeteners and you can add sugary substances to your diet. And you can add a lot of refined carbohydrate material and your risk for chronic diseases will go up. It will, it absolutely will. Your risk for prediabetes and type two diabetes will go up because those foods will specifically impact your liver and it will make your liver insulin resistant, which will then uh, set in motion the development of uh, prediabetes and type two, okay? However, there's a faster and more replicable way to do it. And the faster way to do it is to eat more saturated fat. The faster way to do it is to eat a higher saturated fat diet. The faster way to do it is the way that it's done in the research, and that is a high fat diet. We've seen it in the research. We see it in the public. That's the way that you can create insulin resistance in a very short period of time. And when you do it that way, which is what most Americans are doing, but yet unaware, that's the thing that actually increases chronic disease risk in the long term. All right, we hit the midway point here. We've got uh, eat the predominantly plant-based diet. Now we've got eat a predominantly plant-based diet that is lower in fat, less in calories. Number three on your list, Mr. Kambada, please. Number three, here we go. It's another variation. It's eat a predominantly plant-based diet that contains as much whole food material as possible. Now I really wanna hammer this point home as well. So I talked about eating plant material is good. Eating plant material that's low in fat is good. Eating plant material that's low in fat but is whole is very important because when you go to the grocery store, there's a whole bunch of material, there's a whole bunch of, you know, quote unquote, vegan foods that you can buy. Uh, and you they come in packages, they come in boxes, they come in bottles, right? They're things like cookies and crackers and burritos and chips and pastas and sodas and even beverages that don't have artificial sweeteners in them and or don't have any animal-based foods in them. So technically speaking, these are all vegan foods, right? But just because they're vegan does not make them healthy. These are, these are vegan junk foods or vegan processed foods, if you will. I'm not telling you to eat those foods, okay? I don't eat any of those foods. I haven't eaten those foods for 20 years, and I don't plan on eating those foods anytime soon. What I'm talking about is eating whole foods, fruits, starchy vegetables, legumes, and whole grains. I'll repeat that. Fruits, starchy vegetables, legumes, and whole grains. If you can base your diet in those four food categories and eat as much whole food as possible, you will add yet another layer of disease reversing uh, uh, power to your diet that's gonna have a significant impact in lowering your blood glucose and 
reversing the insulin resistance process that causes blood glucose dysregulation. I love the fact that you went back here. Right, let me say that again, because when you say fruit and you're talking about fruit and diabetes in the same sentence, people's ears, they just perk up to this day. I mean, anytime you and I do a show where we talk about fruits that are safe for people who are living with diabetes, a lot of people tune in. I mean, the numbers on these things are extraordinary. And this too is something that just doesn't get talked about too much among, you know, a lot of people out there. I wish that more people who had diabetes understood that, you know, it's okay to eat that apple. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think the, the problem, I mean, I remember back in 2002 when I first made this transition, I felt the exact same way because when I was living in an insulin resistant state, because I was eating predominantly animal food based diet in that scenario, adding a fruit on top of that doesn't work. When you add an apple to an animal based diet, your blood glucose goes up. When you add a banana to a predominantly animal-based diet, your blood glucose goes up. And so that's what a lot of people do is they say, Cyrus, you're lying to me because I just ate a banana and now my blood glucose went high. It's the banana's fault. And I say, no, 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 no. You're not doing what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you to number one, lower your intake of dietary fat first and do that and keep that constant for at least a week, if not two weeks. And then only then can you start to add more uh, carbohydrate-rich material. If you want to start adding fruits at that point, then you can add one fruit, two fruits, three fruits, four fruits, 10 fruits per day, and your blood glucose won't go up the way that you think it will. And the only reason that's happening is because you've already previously lowered your fat content. And I am a walking, uh, you know, I've been doing this now for 20 plus years. And I kid you not, on average, I eat 20 pieces of fruit per day. So you do the math on that 20 pieces of fruit per day is like 7,000 some odd per year times 20 years. I've eaten 150,000 pieces of fruit over the last 20 years. And my A1C is between 5.3 and 5.7 and it's not going anywhere. Ooh, that is a lot of fruit, dude. You're a getting a ton of antioxidants. Yep. Um, the last time you were on the show, we were talking about this. Somebody wrote in after the fact, we were like, well, what about drinking fruit juice after you've brought your fat content down? Um, no fiber in that. What would your recommendation be there? Yeah. So fruit juices are something that I definitely want to make sure people understand. Uh, we are not necessarily a huge proponent of, of drinking fruit juice. And the reason for that is because fruit juice doesn't contain a very essential component that is present in whole foods called fiber. Dr. Will Bolsowitz has written about this in Fiber Fueled, and it's the central thesis of not only that book, but many other books uh, in the whole food nutrition world. Fiber is a very important nutrient in your food. There are many different types of fiber, and the more diverse your collection of fiber that comes into your mouth, the better strength your microbiome has, the more powerful the diversity inside of your microbiome can become. And as a result of that, it can help secrete short-chain fatty acids, which then improve the health of all tissues. If you subtract fiber from the equation, then what you're doing is you're eating a technically refined version of fruit. You're taking all the sweetness out of the fruit, but you're not taking any of the fiber that comes along with it. And as a result of that, your blood glucose is likely to go up and it's likely to go up pretty quickly. Okay. If you have a small amount and you happen to drink a little bit of fruit juice inside of a larger meal that contains fiber, okay, fine. You can dilute it, but I would not get into the habit of trying to drink a glass of uh, fruit juice on a regular basis, especially if it's not with a meal, because then you're going to run into trouble. 
Somebody also asked, and and I don't even know if they've done research on this, whether there would be a lower impact on blood sugar levels if somebody were to drink orange juice that has pulp in it versus orange juice that has had all of the pulp removed because of what it was you were just talking about, fiber. Yeah, the answer is yes, but a very, very, very small effect. So yeah, having the fiber inside of the orange juice is going to be better than having no fiber in it. But let's not kid ourselves into thinking that that's like a safe way to do it. I'd rather you just eat the orange. Do that. Get all the fiber. There's there's no reason to avoid it. Do you know that Dr. Bolswitz has an orange tree at his house now? Does he really? He does. He was like when he was on the show last week, he was just talking about how his son came all excited into the house a couple of months ago with an orange that he had picked off of the tree. He said it was absolutely delicious. Who knew? It's funny because when I grew up back in Palo Alto in the like 1980s and 1990s, we had an orange tree in the courtyard and then we had a pomegranate tree in the backyard. And, uh, you know, I just kind of grew up eating both of those fruits and I was like, man, these things are really tasty. <laughs> right. And then it wasn't until 20 years later, 30 years later where I was like, man, those are some of the more, those are such tasty, but yet very health promoting foods that I wasn't even aware of at the time. And it's good that you develop those habits early. That's epic. Yeah, dude, you really did. You, you, you just got your taste for them at a, at a far younger age than a lot of us do. Um, yeah, so true. We've been talking a lot about food. Let's talk about something else. I know that exercise has cracked your list at number four. Absolutely. Um, exercise for 30 minutes per day, every day, you're allowed to have one day off per week. So my prescription is exercise for a minimum of 30 minutes per day, hopefully closer to 60 if possible. Uh, and, uh, you're allowed to have one rest day. Now, when you exercise, I don't need you to go out to the gym. I don't need you to pound yourself into the ground. I don't need you to get so out of breath that it's so uncomfortable and you don't want to do it over again. Okay. There's this, again, there's a lot of information on the, on the internet that the only type of exercise that's actually effective for improving your metabolic health is this stuff called HIIT working out or HIIT workouts called high intensity interval training. Okay. High intensity interval training can definitely be very, very powerful, but it is only necessary. It's only applicable to a very small proportion of the population who has been doing exercise training for many, 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 many years leading up to it. Instead of trying to go into the high intensity reg regime, what I would recommend is exercising at a medium intensity for approximately 30 minutes. You can do cardiovascular exercise like walking or jogging. You can also play team sports like basketball or soccer or hockey. You can also go to the gym if you want and you can do weightlifting or you can do a group fitness class. It doesn't really matter. All I want is for your heart rate to get elevated. And, and the real test in my opinion as to whether or not you're exercising is you should find it hard to hold a conversation with somebody. So when you're in the middle of exercise, if your phone were to ring and somebody would be like, hey, Janet, I want to talk with you because we need to talk about this business thing. You should basically be like, you know what? I can't talk right now. Got to go. We'll talk later. Hang up. Okay. If you can hold a conversation, you're not exercising. Okay. I want you to be just enough out of breath that it's hard to either have a conversation or hard to sing a song. And if that's the case, then that's a good indicator that you're exercising at a, at a, at a decent enough pace. And if you can hold that constant for about 30 minutes or so, then you're going to do yourself a significant, uh, you're going to give yourself a big gift on a daily basis by improving your brain function, your cardiovascular function, your liver function, your kidney function, and improving the condition of your muscles simultaneously. 
outside the box kind of question here. I mean, but you're talking about doing that for a half an hour. If somebody has been a complete sedentary couch potato for years at this point, you're not going to go 30 minutes straight out of the gate. It's okay to ramp up. It's absolutely okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, it's okay to ramp up. And if you want to take three months to get to the point where you're exercising for 30 minutes a day, that's fine. There's no rush. There's literally no rush. And secondarily, if you want to split that exercise up into smaller pieces and you want to do like 10 minutes now and 10 minutes a little bit later and 10 minutes a little bit later, I'm okay with that too. It's totally fine. I just want you to be doing something active for a minimum of 30 minutes per day. And when you can do that, it has a very powerful insulin sensitizing effect, which can help lower your blood glucose and lower your, uh, your insulin concentrations simultaneously. You know, so I got a new treadmill here at the house and it's one of the, you know, cooler models and I've got all of these fitness programs I can do. And, and I did, I tried that interval training. I hadn't done that in quite some time. And, uh, boy, you know, my glute muscle straight away was like, nope, you got to work up to this. You got to work up to this son. And, yep, uh, yep. yeah, yeah. Need I was walking around a little bit over the holidays with a little limp on my right cheek there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's no joke. I, I mean, sometimes it's you not. need a rude awakening to recognize you're like, oh, wow, I have to do a lot more base training in order to get to this point. But it's also motivating because you're like, hey, if I want to do that, I got to put in the effort and then I'll eventually get back there. It's all oh, yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. No, I'm good with it. I mean, I'm good to go now, man. But it was, it was like, woo -hoo -hoo. yeah, man, not, not, not right out of the gate. Not right out of the gate. We're going to dial it back to the intermediate level. Not going to go crazy with the advanced stuff straight away. That's exactly right. Uh, speaking of, uh, intermediate and intermittent, uh, talking about fasting here in that regard is the fifth and final tip that you have for us. A lot yes. of people are big on fasting here. Now in terms of controlling your insulin resistance, how does fasting factor in? Okay. Fasting, intermittent fasting is a thing that you can do that mimics calorie restriction. So let's take a quick trip back to the 1930s. Uh, there was a researcher named Clive McKay who started experimenting with calorie restriction and he took mice and he restricted their food intake by 10% and tried to figure out what effect it would have on them. And lo and behold, lowering their caloric intake increased their lifespan. Very unexpected. They were like, wait, what? We fed them less food and they lived longer? Then they did another experiment. They said, well, what if we restricted by 25%? They restricted by 25%. They lived even longer. 30%, even longer. 50%, even longer repeated this process over and over again. And they, they eventually determined that you can restrict the intake, the, the, cal, the caloric intake of animals by up to 60% and you will still push their longevity. They'll, they'll, they'll be alive for a longer period of time. Okay. It's the most conserved, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Nutritional intervention that's ever been studied that has shown that in every single species study to date, lowering your calorie intake has tremendous benefits on your brain health, on your thyroid health, on your liver health, on your heart health, on your vascular health, on your kidney health, on your sexual function, on your skin health, on your muscle health, you name it. There's almost no tissue that doesn't benefit from lower calorie intake. The problem is that calorie restriction is kind of hard. It's kind of boring and it's not that fun to not eat food. So intermittent fasting is a way to mimic calorie restriction. And the way that we recommend doing it is by doing what's called a 16-8 intermittent fast. So that means that you fast for 16 hours a day and then you eat for eight hours a day. So you're effectively compressing your eating window to being a, an eight hour window. And when you do it that way, you can eat to satiation and you can feel good. And the 16 hours of fasting that does include your sleep, just it kind of passes. It's, it's not even that difficult to do. 
And we've seen tremendous benefits from the people that have come through our coaching program. When they do it, they end up losing weight faster. They end up lowering their fasting insulin levels and their post-meal insulin levels. They lower their A1C values. They lower their fasting glucose. They lower their post-meal everything. They become less insulin resistant. They've gotten off of many cardiovascular medications, statin medications, gotten off of blood pressure medication, and their lives improve in ways that they never even thought were possible. So if you don't have intermittent fasting inside of your regimen, I highly, highly recommend integrating it in. And it's just another thing that you can do in addition to a plant-based diet, in addition to exercise, that's going to have a very powerful impact on reversing the insulin resistance metabolic um, condition. A couple follow-ups here uh, on this. Um, when you're talking about fasting and condensing that eating window, if somebody's unfamiliar with this, does that mean that they should be focusing on more calorically dense meals to make sure that they're still hitting that 2000 or how should they really approach eating at that point? Okay. So when you are eating food in that eight hour window, okay, I don't, I don't necessarily want you to try and eat with a calculator in your hand. Okay. Human beings were never designed to have to use a calorie tracker in their phone in order to figure out how much food to eat. Okay. We've just kind of developed this habit because a lot of people are overweight and they don't exactly know how much calories are in their food, okay? So what I want you to do instead is I want you to become a more intuitive eater. I want you to eat until you're about 80% full and then stop eating. It's just that simple, okay? I don't really care how many calories you put into your body, right? And I don't mean to be crass when I say that, but if you have a particular calorie requirement and you're trying to get that calorie requirement in eight hours, chances are it's going to be relatively hard for you to get to that calorie requirement. So let's just say for the sake of argument that you're trying to hit 2000 calories within an eight hour window. Okay. I mean, you could, you could certainly do that. You could go above 2000 calories, but chances are what, what, what intermittent fasting does is it condenses your eating window such that when you try and get to that 2000 calorie marker, you end up actually undershooting it. And then you end up losing a couple of calories here and there, 200 calories today, 200 calories tomorrow, 300 calories the next day. And that translates to weight loss in the long term. Okay. So don't eat like a calculator, eat like a human. Okay. Eat like an animal would eat in the wild. They eat a little bit of food and then they relax. Then maybe they eat a little bit of food a little bit later and then they relax. Okay. If you can do that and you can have maybe two meals, maybe three meals within an eight hour window and just not eat until you're overly satiated, then what you're likely to find is that you actually induce a negative calorie balance which is what's going to translate to weight loss and improved insulin sensitivity. That's the goal. And if you can do that and you can do that over the course of time, then you're setting yourself up for significant improvements. Yeah. And, and so here's something else. A lot of us, you were just kind of hinting at this though, still subscribe to the theory that you should eat small meals frequently. If somebody really is just kind of grazing throughout the day, getting something every two hours, every 90 minutes, something like that, what effect might that have on their insulin resistance or is it totally dependent upon the type of food that they're eating? Okay. That's a great question. So it's dependent on the amount of food that they're consuming. It's dependent on the type of food that they're eating and it's dependent on the timing of the food that they're eating. So you're right in the sense that all three of those things matter. There's no question about it. But if we're going to try and answer one particular question, which is, is it better to eat, let's say you have an eight hour eating window. Is it smarter to eat one meal at the beginning of the eight hours and maybe one meal towards the end? Or is it smarter to eat four different meals spaced out about, you know, call it two hours apart from one another within that eight hour window? 
And the answer is what the research demonstrates is that the former is better. Okay. The former is better, meaning have one larger meal at the beginning and one larger meal at the end, because time is your friend. Your digestive system benefits from not digesting food. You do know if you are snacking on food consistently, then what that means, they say in the scientific world that you're in a chronic state of postprandial metabolism. What the heck does that mean? It means that most of the time your digestive system is trying to digest and transport nutrients. Okay. Postprandial basically just means after a meal. So if you're constantly asking your digestive system to work and work and work and work and work and not give it the rest that it actually should be given, then you end up creating, you increase your risk for many disease processes. And as a result of that, if you switch your eating pattern to being, instead of snacking all the time to having a larger meal and then a longer state of rest where you're not in a postprandial metabolism, and then another larger meal, you give yourself the opportunity to turn your digestive system off. That's what you want. When your digestive system is off, good things happen in all tissues. That's why the fasting period of 16 hours is effective. But even within that eight hour window, if you can turn on and turn off, that's going to also benefit you in the long term. All right, let's roll through these five one more time as we wrap up here. Start with eating a plant based diet. That's number one. Number two, Take that plant-based diet and also drop the fat, drop the calories by about 15% less. Some, that sound about right. Number three, whole foods. Eat as many whole foods as you possibly can in your diet. They are your friend. Four, lace up them sneakers. Get out there, exercise. 30 minutes a day is key. One day off a week. That's very generous of you. I'm sure that there are a lot of people who say thank you right now. And then uh, number five, intermittent fasting. Try to work in that 16-8 window. So get all your food in in that eight-hour window and then give your gut a break, basically. Absolutely. Yeah, give your man. gut a break. That's a good thing. That's a good way to do it. Love it, man. Cyrus Kambada, thank you so much, my friend. What do you have cooking up right now at Mastering Diabetes? Yeah, oh, we got some oatmeal, a little bit of, ha, ah, that was a joke. Here's what we got. Um, at Mastering Diabetes, what we do is we teach people how to change their diet to eating a more low-fat, plant-based, whole food diet. So, you know, we wrote a book called Mastering Diabetes. You can go get it on Amazon and uh, you can read that book and you can change your life just by following the directions inside. What a lot of people have told us is that uh, it, it's hard. It's hard to do, okay? The, the information is like straightforward but the actual implementation can be challenging because you have emotions, you have, uh, you know, uh, things that like patterns that you've developed over the course of time. You got family, you got friends, you got coworkers, you have school, you got logistics, you got your exercise regimen. And all of a sudden, before you know it, it becomes too complicated. So what we've developed is a coaching program that is designed to hold your hand and take you from the starting point where you are right now and get you to do a full transition over to a plant-based uh, ecosystem. And by doing that, we guarantee in our coaching system that by pairing you up with an accountability coach that's going to show you exactly how to make this transition over the course of time, we will help you attain your ideal body weight, we will help you lower your A1C value, and we will help you get significant improvements in your overall metabolic health. We've seen this over and over and over again. We've worked with over 10,000 people over the course of time, and we've seen unbelievable life-changing stories. Okay. I get up every single morning because I want to help as many people as possible. And if you're 
sitting on the fence and you're not sure, maybe I should do this, maybe I shouldn't do this, I'm not sure, maybe what, I don't know what to do, how do I start, what do I buy, what do I not buy, go to our website, masteringdiabetes.org. And on the top bar, just click on personalized coaching. Just click on that, fill out a form, talk to somebody on our team. If you're a good fit for the program, come to the program, we will help you change your life and you will be the best version of yourself and we guarantee it. And you got some green tea too, don't you? I got to hear about this green tea. We do, we do, we do. We actually have, okay, so we have another company called Amla Green, A-M-L-A Green, and it basically is a tea that contains Indian gooseberries. Indian gooseberries are the world's most powerful antioxidant food, very powerful at lowering cholesterol, heart, uh, sorry, blood pressure, and blood glucose, all three of them together. So if you're interested in incorporating this tea into your lifestyle, which we have been getting rave reviews from people who have been you know, putting this into their lifestyle, lowering their cholesterol values, getting off of statin medication, lowering their blood pressure, lowering their blood glucose, and quite honestly, just having more energy. Who doesn't want that? Okay. If you're interested in that, go to amlagreen.com, A-M-L-A green.com. There you can learn more about it and uh, get this in your hands, try it out. And uh, if you don't love it, send it back. We'll give you a refund. Amla Green. That's like a DJ name. Hey, everybody, I'm Amla Green, and here are the hits. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was so stupid. Anyway, that's what happens when you come on the show, man. Uh, thank you so much for your time, dude. This has been this has been great. I love the way that, again, you're just able to put all of this information into digestible bites, and everybody can grasp it, and everybody can improve their health. And for that, I am eternally grateful to you, my friend, the Exam Room Health All-Star. Thank you, Chuck. Uh, I appreciate it. You, you, uh, you've done such an incredible job trying to get uh, information to people who really need it. And the fact that you can get this out to so many people and really change lives uh, means a lot to me. So thank you again for inviting me to come back to the show. I love it. Every time Cyrus comes on the show, there just seems to be this surge of interest. His episodes have been viewed in some cases hundreds of thousands of times on YouTube and downloaded so many more right here on the podcast. It's absolutely incredible. People just love the way that he's able to put all of this information together. Just incredible. So I'm really glad that he was here with us today. We still have three episodes to go in our Exam Room All-Star series. So still to come, Dr. Gemma Newman will be here talking about skin health, eating to look your best, and turning back the hands of time. Because we know that smoking can cause you to really age pretty rapidly. You see that weathered look on a person's face, but can these ultra-processed foods, these greasy foods, all of this fast food that's in the standard American diet, can that really do the same? Better yet, what should we be eating to rejuvenate our skin and reclaim that healthy glow? Dr. Newman will have answers for us on the next episode. And then after that, Dan Butner will be here talking about the secrets, unlocking them to living a longer and healthier life. He's sharing the lessons that he has learned by studying the longest living communities in the world as part of his work with the Blue Zones. And then we will wrap up the All-Star series with Dr. Alan Desmond. He is the author of The Plant-Based Diet Revolution and a fantastic advocate for all things 
health. He's also a fantastic gastroenterologist. So if you have any questions that you would like to ask the experts, go ahead, send them to me right now on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chuck Carroll WLC. You can also join us live on YouTube and Facebook starting at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And of course, the podcast replays are available shortly thereafter on Apple Podcast and Spotify and wherever it is that you get your shows. And when you subscribe, if you could take a moment also to leave a five-star rating and a nice review, that really does help us out tremendously in getting this information out to people who need it the most, potentially life-saving information. And don't forget, you can go back anytime and watch our episodes and listen to our episodes on demand from the Exam Room Health All-Stars. We've had Dr. Michael Greger, Dr. Neil Barnard, T. Colin Campbell was on the show, and so many more. We're really getting the new year off on the healthiest foot possible. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you once again to Mr. Mastering Diabetes, Cyrus Kambata, for being here and helping to raise our health IQs to new heights. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Plant-based.